Well, good morning, church family. My name is Bob Travis, and I'm the pastor of mobilization here at LEFC. And it's my privilege this morning to be able to close out our series in the book of James that we've been walking through together for the past, I guess, five or six months. And I kind of feel a little bit like after studying James here for six months together on Sunday mornings, that we're kind of saying goodbye to an old friend as we leave the book of James. But it's been um, great studying the book together. And last week, uh, Lem did a great job in preaching um, through chapter 5 and parts of it, bringing us up to the last two verses that I'll be touching on this morning. And I do want to make, if you were here last week, I want to make one promise to you this morning, and that is that at no point in today's message am I going to break out and rap. <laughs> and trust me, you can be very thankful for that. But uh, I just... as. As we move through this, I just wanted to share a little bit. I've had uh, quite a few people have asked me over the last couple weeks if I would give them an update on the trip to Southeast Asia that pastors Joel, Pastor Joel and his wife Patty and my wife Janet and I just got back from just about two weeks ago. And if you're, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the fact that Southeast Asia is our area of strategic focus here at LEFC. And we believe it's an area that God's called us to minister to specifically. And we look forward to what God is going to do through us and also in us at LEFC as we minister in this part of the world. And the trip was really valuable. Uh, we're in the process of putting together what I would say is kind of a long-term plan, maybe three, uh, next three, four years or so, of what we believe God is calling us to do in Southeast Asia. And it was a great time exploring what some of those opportunities could be, and God opened our eyes up to a number of things. One of the highlights that we also had while we were there was we had invited any of our global partners that serve in Southeast Asia to join us in Bangkok, Thailand for a, a time of rest and refreshment and spiritual encouragement. And four of our global partner families took us up on that. And we were able to spend about three nights and four days with four of the global partner families of LEFC. And it was just a really enjoyable and wonderful time that we spent with them. So I hope they felt as refreshed as we did and enjoyed that time. But one of the countries that we visited while we were over there is a country that has limited freedom for churches and for followers of Christ. And it happens to be a country where quite a few of you sponsor children through the Ministry of Global Fingerprints. Uh, if you remember that, that's a sponsorship where you can sponsor a child, and then they, they minister to that child, provide them some you know, basic necessities and needs over there. And if you are a sponsor of global, through Global Fingerprints, you would be very encouraged by what we saw and heard while we were there. On the second day of our trip, we were invited to sit in on a training session where they gathered about 75 of what they call care workers together. Now, care workers are, are volunteers. They attend the churches there in this particular country, and they volunteer, and they get assigned three or four children to each care worker, and they build a relationship with that child, and through that, through the, a relationship with the family. And the leaders had gathered these about 75 care workers together for a day of training. And the four of us, along with five uh, missionaries from the Evangelical Free Church, joined that group for the training session. In the last hour, all they did was share testimonies of God's work through Global Fingerprints. It was wonderful to hear. Uh, we heard stories about children who are sponsored that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
We've heard how family members of these children have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we also heard how the churches in that area are being strengthened as Global Fingerprints is allowing them to go into these communities and make a difference and then opening up hearts a little bit more for them to be able to be responsive to the ministry of the church and eventually, hopefully, to Jesus Christ. And after the training was over, um, they held a dinner where about 90 people, including the, the nine of us, the four of us from LEFC, attended the dinner, and it was a great time, um, great time of fellowship. Sadly, after the dinner was over, um, the leader of this church ministry and the Global Fingerprints ministry in this part of the world um, was approached by a government worker, government security official, who said that they wanted to meet with him after his friends left, referring to us. And he walked back, after he took us to our, our rides, he walked back to the building, and there were nine other government officials waiting to meet with him. And they sat down together for about two hours. They wanted to know what was the purpose of the meeting, um, who those foreigners were, why we were there, and um, what was taking place. Well, apparently he answered their questions satisfactorily enough that all they did was give a warning and ended the meeting. However, the next morning, um, Pastor Joel and I were scheduled to preach at two different churches in the area. And the leaders got together after the events of Saturday night and decided that it was better that Joel not preach on Sunday morning because he was scheduled to preach at a church very close to the training that took place on Saturday. And they said, however, we think it's okay for Bob to preach. Um, however, um, we think it's best if only Bob and Janet go to the church, the rest of the Americans stay behind and, and not go, and that they'll take the car right up to the door, Bob and Janet can get out, go into the building, and when it's over, we'll do the same thing to take them out. So as they were just sharing these details, they said, um, you know, so, you know, how comfortable, are you guys good with these changes? Now, I didn't say this, but what went through my mind was, yeah, this sounds great for Joel. Um, <laughs> but I did have the opportunity, and I went and preached on Sunday morning, and it turns out that they needed one of us to preach at another church in the area Sunday afternoon for a four o'clock service, and Joel had the opportunity to preach there. So it really was a great opportunity to, um, to experience. But one of the things I learned is the value of this little book. If you can't see it, it happens to be my American passport. We take this for granted. And one of the things that the church leader shared with us was that as, as Americans, probably the greatest thing that we risked was to be asked to leave the country. You see, other governments, and this one as well, um, they don't want bad international press, and especially if it's related to Americans. And so we, at the most, they said, would risk being asked to leave the country. However, the church leaders that were there, that were the nationals, risked far much more. Pretty much every one of the pastors that I talked to while we were there had shared that they have served time in prison for preaching Christ. Now, what was amazing to me was that despite that, they keep on preaching Christ. New believers are going forward and being baptized, and they keep planting new churches throughout this country. It's amazing to see the work of the Spirit of God alive and working in this midst. Now, one of the things that also struck me as well 
was that for these church leaders, their confidence was not in the passport that they carried, but it was in the Spirit of God. He was who they relied upon as they were doing ministry day after day in really difficult circumstances. And I want to encourage all of us here at LEFC, it is a privilege for us to be involved in this part of the world when we have the freedoms that we have, the resources that we have, and God wants to use us in a part of the world where they have so much less. So I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to do through us. One of the things I learned, though, as well, though, is that one of the tactics that the government does to suppress Christianity and the growth of churches is that they not only focus their intimidation on the leaders of the church, but also on the newcomers to the church. And what they'll do is they'll find out who the newcomers are to these churches, and they'll approach them in other settings, and they'll say to them, do you know that you run the risk of going to prison for attending that church? Did you know that you could lose your job for attending that church? Did you know that you can be denied access to the university for attending that church? Did you know that you could maybe no longer be able to rent your house or apartment because you're attending that church? And sadly, the tactic works because what they see is at times new people to the church wandering away from the church and sadly from Jesus Christ. Now, something similar is happening in the United States, in Lancaster County, and right here at LEFC, and that is that regularly people wander from the church. Now, a little bit later, I'm gonna share, there's a variety of reasons why people wander from churches. But what I'd like to point out before I read our text for this morning is this, is that relationships and community within the body of Christ are essential to keep people from wandering. And we're gonna see that as we go back into the book of James this morning. Before I read our text, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning and you like one, just put your hand up. Um, our ushers are coming down the aisles and they'll be glad to hand you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one home with you as a gift from us. And we just encourage you, if you do that, to read it because it is God's life-changing word. If you wanna follow along on your phones or other devices, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and under the events tab, just choose Lancaster Evangelical Church, Free Church, and you will find our service and the content to follow along right there. But if you would, turn in your Bibles to James chapter five, beginning in verse 19. To find James, if you go hit the book of Hebrews, go to the right, it's right after Hebrews. If you hit Revelation at the end of the Bible, you've gone too far, it's in between. But we're gonna do James chapter five, verses 19 and 20. And before I read, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to gather together this morning in freedom to worship you. We thank you that we can turn to your word and that we can read it. And Father, your word is life-changing and I pray now that your word would penetrate our minds and our hearts as we read it together. Father, give us insight and help us to know you better through the time we spend in your word here this morning. Father, open our eyes as we read and help us to understand your text and help us to see you today. Amen. Okay, we're gonna read... James chapter five, verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, 
If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, this is not your typical ending to a New Testament book. There's no benediction, there's no closing prayer, there's no farewell where James mentions people by name as Paul did in some of his books. So we'll just have to come up with our own conclusion to the book of James as we work through this passage together this morning. First thing I'd like to point out to us is how James addresses the readers of his letter. He calls them in the first, three, first words there, my brothers and sisters. Now, James has five chapters, which we've broken it down to in the Bible now. And in those five chapters, that phrase, brothers and sisters, is used 15 times. It's a lot for five chapters of a book. Um, James here refers to them as my brothers and sisters. He personalizes it, which he does eight of the 15 times. And I want to just draw our attention to the fact that James is addressing this content, his letter, to fellow believers who he has an intimate relationship with and he loved intimately. You see, James has a very pastoral tone to this letter. And it's a great reminder when we see how he closes this book, when he's referring to brothers and sisters, including us, that it is a privilege to be part of the church family. And it's a great reminder that we're part of the body of Christ. I think what James is showing us is it's also critically important that we have relationships within the body of Christ to strengthen and to build up our faith and maturity in Jesus Christ. Wandering from the truth, as James mentions here, so wandering from the truth, wandering from Christ, and wandering from the church is a 2,000-year-old problem. And James mentions wandering from the truth, and then he gives an admonition to the believers, and that admonition is to bring these wanderers back. We'd have to ask ourselves a question. So who are these wanderers? Well, I believe the wanderers are people that are attending the church. Back in James's time, as he was writing this, they're people that would have been attending the church, part of the church. They maybe even have professed faith in Christ, but they've yet to genuinely trust Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. See, we have people attending LEFC. This would probably, what I would say, would be the equivalent of people that come in every Sunday. They're in, our, they're in the chairs of our church. They're here worshiping with us. They might even be in our adult Bible fellowships, but they've yet to come to placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus described these, these individuals when he talked about the, so, the parable of the soils, and he talked about the rocky soil. And he described as how the seed falls on the soil and because the soil was rocky, the roots didn't go down very deep and the sun comes down and it scorches the plants and because the roots were not very deep, the plants wither. And they have, what it is is when trial and temptation or whatever may hit adversity, people are drawn away from Jesus Christ before they put their faith in Christ as Savior. Now, there's many reasons why people wander from Jesus Christ. I've been a pastor now for over 25 years, and I've um, seen it myself that people wander for quite a few reasons. I've seen people that maybe they, they get disappointed or they get hurt by the church, and they choose to, to leave. I think over 
The last four years, we've seen a, a lot of wandering with churches over things like COVID, race, politics, and we've seen people wander from one church, and thankfully what happened was most people have wandered and connected somewhere else at a solid Bible-teaching church and made that their church home. But I think what James is concerned about here is those people who wander but haven't connected somewhere else. In our day and age, that's what we need to be concerned about as well, that people are wandering away from the church and eventually from Christ. Now, some people are pulled away because I've seen it where people experience a tragedy. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a, a diagnosis of a serious illness. And when they need the church more than ever, they choose to just withdraw and drift away. I think another key reason why people may wander from churches is what I would call idols of the heart. Maybe something in their life could be something that's good. It could be a relationship. It could be a career. It could be things that God wants us to have, but people now make that thing in their heart, they love it more than they love Jesus Christ. And in the pursuit of that thing, you can see it taking place where somebody pursues, will you say, a relationship, and all of a sudden, it pulls them away from their friends in the church. It pulls them away from the fellowship. It eventually pulls them away from the church because they're pursuing that thing rather than pursuing Christ. And James is now referring to these people as wanderers. And what James is telling us in these closing verses is that as disciples of Jesus, we have an obligation to continually guide one another back to Jesus. See, when someone wanders, they begin to look more like the world than they do like Christ. They stop reading the word. They stop attending worship. They pray less and less. They start excusing sin in their life rather than repenting from it. And what we see is that over time, the distance between them and Jesus grows. And, and this is what James is concerned about, and this is why James is telling us that as fellow believers within the body of Christ, we have an obligation. Way back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, Cain asked the Lord this question. He said, am I my brother's keeper? And James is showing us through this letter that the answer to that question is a resounding yes. We have an obligation to come alongside of one another. That's why community is so important. See, James wasn't talking here to the church leaders. James is talking to all of the believers. He's talking to all of us. And as pastors, we're included, but what James is showing us is that this search and rescue mission is the responsibility of all believers. And when we take that mission seriously, we can draw people back, but we as a church grow stronger when we function the way God intends for us to function. But I'd like to ask you two really important questions. First, who is going to notice if you wander? Second question I'd like to ask is who's going to notice if you start growing distant from Jesus? Now, when I ask that question, if the answer is not immediately coming to your mind, I want to encourage you to be very intentional 
about connecting in relational community here at LEFC. And when I say relational community, what I'm talking about is in smaller contexts. See, we have life groups at LEFC. These are home Bible studies. These are where you can draw together in relationship with other people. You can live the Christian life. You can study the word of God. And you can come alongside and encourage one another in your faith. You know, maybe it's an adult Bible fellowship for you, which are Sunday morning groups of 20 to 60 people. Maybe it's a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study. But you see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we not only need to be part of these kinds of relational communities for our own growth, but God is encouraging us, God is exhorting us to be part of these relational communities so we can come alongside of one another and help to point each other back to Jesus. Now, notice as I said this, when I talk about pointing back to Jesus, I've used the word lovingly. I'd like to read a passage that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. I'm going to put it up on the screen. He says this, brothers and sisters, see that phrase again, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, I wish, as you see it on the screen, I wish I could go over and just take a highlighter and run it over the word gently and underline it several times, but I think um, Alex and Ken would get a little upset if I did that. So just in your mind, recognize the importance of doing this gently. See, God doesn't want us to go out and hunt down the wanderer like we're hunting down a wolf. God wants us to come alongside of those people who are growing distant and do so with love. You see, there's gonna be time when confrontation's necessary. There's gonna be time when church discipline is necessary. But those cases need to be the exception and not the norm. You see, when, when somebody wanders, most of the time, they recognize that they've wandered away from the church, they've wandered away from the fellowship of the church and relationships. And God may just want to use you to be that person that lovingly guides them back. Now, I'm not naive. I recognize there's times that when people wander, their hearts have hardened, their spirit is rebellious, and you might come alongside of them and they're gonna reject you and refuse to, be, to come back into the fellowship, to come back to the church. But I wanna encourage you to persevere. You don't have to beat them over the head with your Bible, but you have to love them. See, what's gonna happen? Say they're that person that wandered from the church because they were pursuing an idol other than Jesus Christ. What I can guarantee you is, no matter what idol you choose to pursue, eventually that idol, if it's not Jesus Christ, is going to fail. That idol is going to disappoint you. That idol is going to leave you empty. And you see, if that's your friend that has wandered because of an idol, and they face that time of disappointment and hurt, that may be the time when God wants to use you to draw and gently guide that friend back to Jesus Christ. See, this is really a privilege that God wants us to be part of. Now, up to this point so far, we've talked about the dangers of what James calls wandering from the truth. Something I'd like to point out to us about this phrase, wandering from the truth, is that if people are able to wander from the truth, then James and he's inspired by the Spirit of God. God is now telling us in Scripture that actual objective truth really exists. And you see, we live in a culture that tries to deny the reality of objective truth. 
We live in a culture that's saying that truth is relative and it can vary from person to person. And what we're seeing here in this passage is that real truth actually exists and it exists in the person of Jesus Christ only. Now, James goes on and he says here, remember, in verse 20, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way. That's an interesting phrase, from the error of their way. See, what we're seeing here is that this wanderer, this person who has wandered from the truth, they're pursuing the error of their own way. They've taken their eyes off of Jesus Christ and they're heading in a really bad direction. And now he or she has chosen to go his or her own way. When you look at these two words together, truth and way, does it remind you of any other passage of Scripture? Yeah, Jesus' very own words. Let's read John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. See, there's, there's only two ways that we can follow. We can choose to follow Jesus' way, or we can choose to follow our own way. And whatever it is that we're pursuing, whatever means we're trying to maybe be right with God, whatever path we choose on this earth for fulfillment, if it's not going after Jesus, if we're not pursuing Jesus Christ, what we're doing is we're on a path that's wandering away from God. Jesus clearly said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way and all other paths meander helplessly away from God. Now, one of the themes that ran through the letter of James was that of genuine faith. If we go back, we can see it prominently in James chapter two in verses 14 to 26. And in that passage, James referred to two kinds of faith. One was a genuine faith, and the other was a faith that he literally called useless. You see, we either follow Jesus' way or any other way is literally here called useless. And that's a faith that's centered upon anything else other than Jesus Christ. Before coming to LEFC, I served as the lead pastor of an evangelical free church in the Philadelphia area for 13 years. And it was in Yardley, Pennsylvania, if anyone knows Yardley in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And while I was there, I developed a friendship with the rabbi of a local synagogue in the, in our, in the same town. His name was Howard. And I remember one day, Howard called me up. I was sitting in my office at the church, and my phone rang, and it was Howard. And he said, hey, Bob, he said, would you be willing to come to our Passover service at the synagogue and share about the significance of the Christian, of the significance of the Passover to the Christian faith. I couldn't believe he was actually asking me this. And he said, you know, I, I've invited a, a, an is, a Muslim imam from Pakistan to share about the significance of the Passover to the Muslim faith. I'd like to ask if you would share about it for the Christian faith. He goes, I'm, this is the rabbi now. He said, I'm gonna speak about the significance of the Passover to the Jewish faith. And I'm gonna invite one other local pastor to share from the Christian perspective as well. Now, as I kind of pulled myself back off my floor, I said, Howard, I wanna tell you something up front. If I were to come and do that, I would have to talk about Jesus Christ. 
because I see everything about the Passover pointing to the person of Jesus. And his response was, he said, Bob, our congregants at the synagogue would be fascinated to hear that. So I agreed. And at the service, I went first. I was followed by the Muslim imam. Then Howard spoke the rabbi. And then the other local pastor spoke last. And in my message, I clearly and graciously walked through the Old Testament sacrificial system. I talked about the holiness of God, and I talked about the need for a perfect Savior. And then I went to Hebrews chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Peter 1, and I showed how Jesus Christ is the unblemished Lamb of God who was sacrificed for the sins of the world in a Jewish synagogue. Now, the Muslim imam went after I did. He spoke about the wandering from coming out of Egypt, Moses leading the, peop leading the people. He talked about the whole desert exodus. He gave a biblical message that was fantastic up until about the last 10%. And that's when he transitioned to talking about Muhammad and never talked about, obviously, Jesus related to the Passover. When the rabbi spoke, he gave a similar message and he talked through about the wanderings from a Jewish perspective, very faithful to Moses, but obviously void of mentioning anything about Jesus. And the other pastor from the local church got up and spoke last. And as he got up, he began his message by saying, I want to apologize for my Christian brethren who have the audacity to believe that Jesus Christ is any greater than Muhammad or Moses. I was dumbfounded. Talk about an awkward moment. You see, this pastor literally denied Jesus Christ. If we look at the words in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here we had a pastor of a Christian church denying Jesus Christ. My thoughts also went to what was read earlier. Somebody had actually read this this morning in our sharing time. Is Hebrews chapter 2 says, Moses was faithful as a servant of God in God's house. We'd all agree. Moses was a godly man and prophet, bearing witness to what could be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. You see, I don't believe that our faith to be what James referred to as a useless faith has to be one where we publicly deny Jesus Christ. I think there's people that are sitting in our churches every Sunday that think they're in a right relationship with God. Wonderful people that our hearts should break for because they think they're in a right relationship with God, but they've yet to come to the place of trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And what James is showing us here is that genuine faith always leads to transformation, which then always leads to good works. You see, the book of James talks a lot about good works. For 2,000 years, Christians have struggled with this relationship between faith and works. Now, I'd like to say this, that I think the key to understanding the relationship between faith and works, is to identify the timing of the works. What I mean by that is, are the works pre-salvation or are they post-salvation? 
See, Paul in his letters talked a lot about pre-salvation works. And he was very clear to show that no one comes to God, nobody will have what James calls a genuine faith by trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ alone. It's one of the reasons Martin Luther struggled with the book of James. He wanted to have it removed from the canon because that dynamic of faith and works. But I'll tell you what, I want to give a lot of grace to Martin Luther. He lived at a time where I probably would have had the same struggle. The church was teaching at that time that our faith comes, our genuine saving faith comes from faith in Christ plus works. And people were doing all kinds of things to earn their way to God, to earn their salvation but there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation other than coming to Jesus Christ, trusting him alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And I believe in the reformer's motto of faith alone in Christ alone, I think James would have given a hearty amen to that statement. But what James is showing us here and the works he's talking about and the good deeds are ones that come after salvation. And what James is showing is that a genuine faith through a genuine faith, we're transformed on the inside by the Spirit of God, and then we flow out with good works. And you see, our good works are an evidence of our genuine saving faith. And this was a major theme throughout the book of James. Now, James also talked about the importance of all these good works and I think all of us here who have been walking with Jesus Christ for a number of years would recognize it's not easy, is it? To do the things that James is calling us to do throughout these five chapters. You see, every one of us is in the process of becoming like Jesus. And if you look around the room here today, the church, in, in a, the, the church all over the world and LEFC, you see, we're a church that's filled with sinners who are gradually becoming more like Jesus Christ. And what do we need to show one another? A lot of grace. Because James is calling us to a, a journey here of becoming like Christ. And that the beauty of community in this process is that we're not in it alone. We can walk through it with one another. And this journey is a continual one of faith and repentance. See, when I mention repentance, repentance involves recognizing in our own hearts that our sin is an offense to a holy God. And when we recognize that sin in our lives, what repentance means is now we are turning away from our sin, which we all do. We sin all the time. And that's why repentance needs to be part of our lives every day. But as our eyes are set on our sin, you notice what we're doing is we're taking our eyes off of Jesus and repentance means we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus for the salvation of our, from, our, from our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins, but every day we need to set our eyes back upon Jesus Christ. You know, when, when I do this myself, one of the things I like to think about, remember Peter, when he was on the boat and there was a storm out there and he looked out and there was Jesus walking on the water. Peter jumps out of the boat and Peter, what, what does he do? He keeps his eyes on Jesus and he walks on the water. But the moment he takes his eyes off of Jesus, what happens? He sinks. But what does he do? Lord, save me. You see, think about it for ourselves. That's what we need to do when it comes to sin. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, which we're going to do, we're sinners. 
We need to immediately yell out, Lord, save me. You see, that is repentance. And we're gonna need to do it every day until we go to glory. I, I attended Dallas Theological Seminary back quite a few years ago. And I, uh, one of the people, one of the uh, past presidents of Dallas, his name was John Walvard. Um, he was president for quite a few years at Dallas Seminary. Godly man. He, he went to be with the Lord back in 2002. And I happened to be at a chapel when he was preaching in 1998, when he was 80, I think he was 88 years old at the time. And he spoke for about 30 minutes. And after he spoke, he opened it up for a Q&A, and the chapel was filled with students. It was packed. And the first question, this is an 88-year-old godly man who was walking with Jesus for many, many decades. And the first question he gets was from a young seminary student that says, Dr. Walvard, can you tell me when do we overcome the struggle with lust? And without missing a beat, Dr. Walvard looks at him and he says, son, I don't know, but if you find the answer, would you let me know? What an honest answer. Here's a man walking with the Lord, 88 years old, and he recognizes that he struggles with sin just like everybody else, and we all do. And the key to this is that each of us is going to have this ongoing need for daily repentance. Now, Alex had a copy of my message before this morning, and he pulled out a phrase that I had used. Paul Tripp uses the phrase in one of his books. He says that we all struggle from resurrection amnesia. What he was saying is, we tend to forget about the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And what we do is to overcome sin, we tend to struggle by thinking that it's all about us and our effort. And we put ourselves on this treadmill of trying to be right with God when what we need to do is we need to look to Jesus Christ and recognize, just as he said, it is finished. He's already accomplished it for us. And all that we need to do is to set our eyes back on Jesus Christ. What we've seen today is that we're all on a journey and that we need to practice faith and repentance every day. You see, repentance really is the cure for resurrection amnesia. But what James is calling us to through this is not just to live faithfully, yes. He's given us a lot of things to do to control our tongue and to not judge others. If we remember through all these chapters, but what James is showing us in these last two verses is that we're being called upon to come alongside of one another and continually point one another back to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of James that we've been able to study for these past five or six months. And Father, I pray that as we look to, to be who you've created us to be, Lord, you've given us many exhortations that, Lord, as followers of Jesus, we want these to be fruit in our lives and the evidence of our faith. But Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize our everyday need for you, our everyday need for repentance. And Father, may we come alongside of one another and point our brothers and sisters in Christ back to Jesus all the time. Father, we thank you for your spirit, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you've given us one another. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's push one another towards Christ through the words that we sing.
Hey church, sing this with me. In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and
Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. We just spent the last five or six months studying the book of James. I can get just imagine we can say we just landed the plane and we've just taxied back to the gate. And in so doing, you can tell I've spent too many hours on airplanes these last three weeks. Uh, by the way, our next flight is taking us into the book of Proverbs next week. We'll be in the book of Proverbs through the end of the summer. But looking back over these last five or six months, we've seen that James has challenged us individually to live in such a way that we, we watch our tongues, that we build up one another with our tongues rather than tear down, that we persevere in trials, that we don't judge other people, that we, we use our wealth wisely. I could go on and on with the exhortations. These are so important. They're important enough that James in chapter one began by saying, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So these things are very important. However, as I mentioned, it's so much easier said than done, and it's something that we can't do alone. One of the things I mentioned in our mes the message was that God has given us his spirit, he's given us his word, and he's given us one another. And I wanna just exhort us as a church family to be that kind of church that we are regularly investing into one another and we're allowing others to invest into us so that we can mature in Christ together. And that's what James is showing us today. He and God intends for his church to be. So as we leave this morning, I wanna encourage you to be that kind of church. And as we leave this morning, I wanna dismiss you with that exhortation and also dismiss you now in the peace of Jesus Christ, amen.